Welcome to Wedding and Event Podcast. Frank podcast discussions for event professionals and those planning successful events. With wedding and special event consultant, Toby Dodge of Prepared.com. And Eric Zimmerman, pianist, DJ, and master of ceremonies of ElegantMusic.com. Hello, everyone. The title of this episode is Protocol. Part 2. When greeting someone for the first time, one could say that the protocol would be to shake hands. This is an accepted response and invites further communication. The natural progression of getting to know one another has begun. Indeed, a wedding reception with a successful grand entrance, for example, is kind of like a handshake. Guests are welcomed and the event is set in motion. In this episode, Toby posed this question. Is protocol what happens at a certain time, or is protocol what is traditional and customary? I think it's a combination of both. And much like a handshake, protocol invites further communication, and in the case of a wedding celebration, facilitates the joining of two families. And now please enjoy Wedding and Event Podcast, Episode 28, Protocol, Part 2. Well, good morning. Good morning to you. I read your um, info about um, not having a place where they talk about protocol. Well, I just want examples. It's of what really has... interesting. No, I haven't been working on this for a very long time, but but I I think this is going to take like you know the librarian of Congress to. Uh... <laughs> Just to just to have something there, a reference that we could then say, well, this is how they did it then. and Yeah. Well, I'm sure that there is some reference book somewhere that you could probably read and would tell us about traditions. Maybe you have to look under traditions rather than protocol. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, traditions of... English weddings or Indian weddings. And from that, I think it, you will find the protocols. Well, I think that you're right I that there's... Um, about. Well, yeah, the, the, there, there are traditions that are observed in various parts of the country and various uh, religions and various, you know, countries and things like that. And yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah, I... But but that's why I say that I feel like I've bitten off a, a bigger subject than I've prepared to Well, chew. I think personally that's probably why most people just rely on their family's history and what they are accustomed to doing right. rather than any specific book or protocol. In fact... I think where the protocol comes from is from the religious institutions. In other words, there's a book when you go uh, to a Catholic uh, church to be married, there's a whole booklet that is given to the couple, which explains how their ceremony will proceed. Right Now, there are some and I have experienced this where there are some deviation from that Mm -hmm. depending on the individual, I think, provocations or maybe uh, spiritual beliefs of the individual priest Uh that is going to be officiating and I've known fathers to deviate, you know, when a couple would like to change the liturgical music or sometimes they'll choose readings that may not be exactly, you know, from the choices in the booklet, but have a meaning because of their family history or culture so they'll they'll make 
changes and adjustments from time to time. Mm-hmm. However, I think that might be another place where the protocol actually is stated mm-hmm. in black and white. But I know from my experience that most churches and synagogues, the person who dictates it usually is the person from the top down, Mm -hmm. meaning in a temple situation, a rabbi would set certain parameters of how they like certain things done. Yes. And there may be other customs that can vary. In fact, I attended a Friday night service at Valley Outreach Synagogue in uh, Calabasas. Mm-hmm. And much of the sermon, if you will, for that evening, Friday night evening, was about various customs of being bar mitzvahed and bat mitzvahed in different parts of the world, according oh. to their Jewish heritage. And I have witnessed some of them, but it was it was really interesting. And it kind of mirrors what goes on for all celebrations. I, I've been a part of quinceañeras and uh, debutante uh, balls I've witnessed and, and birthday parties with certain cultures and anniversaries and, of course, the vast majority weddings. And I'm always thrilled when somebody interjects something of their culture. But oftentimes it has to do with geographic differences meaning if you're Jewish and you're what they would call an Ashkenazi Jewish heritage, which is, if I am correct in saying Eastern European versus heritage that was from North Africa or, um, let's say Spain or, um, Italy or another region, it's going to be slightly different. Uh And in some cases, very different, according to the foods. Um, Even in a a very important holiday, Passover, Mm -hmm. the foods are totally different in the United States, in certain regions than there would be in other places in the world, mm-hmm. basically because they draw from their culture. Right. So that's why protocol is so fascinating because knowing how it actually started. In fact, I know that we have on occasion, oh, this is probably going back to one of our first talks. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not mistaken, we might have had it off um, Skype, actually. But we were talking about the meanings of the White Isle Runner and dowries and all kinds of things we had mentioned briefly between us. And I remember early on in my career when this kind of discussion came up all the time. People were much more concerned about, well, I have to walk down the aisle with a white runner. I mean, it was really important Mm -hmm. to some people. I mean, nowadays you get flowers and all kinds of runners with different colors and materials and, you know, it runs the whole gamut back a generation, it was very definite. Well, is it going to be fabric? Is it going to be paper? When is it going to be rolled out? Is it going to be pinned? 
oh my God, if I can tell you how many times <laughs> I've been on my knees pinning, pinning yeah. a, a paper runner to a, some other kind of fabric, you know, a carpet that was already there and how to pin it so that if they had to go up the steps that it wouldn't make a big loop oh my. that it had to be flush against it and then using double stick tape and then sometimes you were in a place that had wood floors which is not a good ideal idea to put a runner on top of something slick i can tell you mm. <laughs> It's very hard. It wasn't easy, no matter what you did, you know. And and for those wonderful brides that wanted to walk down the aisle on grass with a white aisle runner, I got to the point where, you know, if the grass is bigger than, you know, an eighth of an inch, you got problems, you know, because the paper ones would never lie flat. <laughs> I don't have to tell you. You probably have a ton of stories that I'd love to hear. And it got to the point where rental companies decided, okay, we're in the business of aisle runners. And we had white, you know, rugs. Oh, it was funny. What, what was their solution then in that situation where there's a you're on well, a lawn, you're on a lawn and yeah, then Yeah, yeah. Well, he, here's what I think uh Bel Air Bay Club did years ago and was so smart they decided look you know the grass is not going to do well no matter where you are or how much you water it 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 is a problem so you know what to do and some people would put out artificial grass on top of regular grass so that you know, it would be firmer. I mean, there was all kinds of things. But th what they did is they got wooden planks, like four by eights, okay? Okay. And they would, uh, they actually latched them together. So depending on how long you wanted your aisle to be, you could undo some of the latches. Okay. And... Because you can imagine how heavy a piece of wood would a be. Four by eight plywood, sure, that's that's heavy. You know, yeah. and and fifty feet of it or or so. Right. So they had a way of of pinning them together, and then they would put fabric over it. Now, if I'm, I don't know for sure if they had made one to fit it or they use, um, you know, running cloth that they had, but that's what they would do. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, they still have that wood and they still do that. Mm -hmm. Some couples want the wood to extend underneath an arch or a hoopah or planters, whatever, because they don't want to stand on the grass. Even if there is just a runner, they'd rather stand on something more supported. And the plywood was probably three quarter inch or at least a half inch plywood um, so that it would be sturdy. Mm -hmm. And the challenge was with a specific width, if you had three people walking down, they <laughs> might need wider space yeah. than what the wood plank. And I, I don't want to sp uh, speak let's put it this way. I, I may not be accurate to the size. It might've been wider than four feet. I honestly don't recall. However, I do remember <laughs> having situations where the, the wood plank wasn't quite wide, wide enough, enough uh -huh. because, you know, a bride's dress was enormously wide and, you know, the father didn't want to step in, you know, on, on the dress. And let's say if it was a family that wanted both parents to walk them down, sure. they, they would need six feet rather than four feet. So there were times that we had to make adjustments, but I, it, it, mar I just marvel at the whole premise of it because from my research, it started back 
in England where many chapels and churches had dirt floors. And so there's some history where they decided to put a white runner down to keep the bad spirits away from coming in and by having a white cloth to walk on Mm -hmm. and the bride was safe and others i i've read other places where the white was a a sign of virginity Mm -hmm. for the bride to walk down there was others that it was basically to keep things clean Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i mean you can look at it because it really wasn't until queen victoria that white was I think after her marriage that it became commonplace or at least possible uh-huh. to wear white uh, for weddings. I believe earlier than that, it was different colors, fancy huh. fabrics. I don't believe white was not na- uh, necessarily a bridal color. Huh. For hundreds of years, I don't believe so. At least not in Western Europe. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what I recall. So there you go. So you can think of protocol, I think, in different ways. Meaning, is it protocol of what happens at a certain time? Yes. Or is protocol kind of an offshoot of what is traditional and customary? Like, which came first? They are separate subjects. Yeah, I know. But I kind of think they dovetail. Oh, definitely. And one is kind of hard to have without the other. That's right. The thing that... disappointed me in going around online and everything and looking for, well, how did, you know, Harry and Diana, um, or not Harry, but um, what's his name? Uh, Charles. Charles Charles. and Diana. How did they conduct their wedding reception? Who was announced? Who toasted first? When did the dances come in? What was the first course? What Mm -hmm. happened after that? That's... That's very um, that's very interesting to me, especially as a master of ceremonies in conducting yeah. the festivities of of a wedding. Now, as to what the bride was wearing for her first dance, okay, that's interesting, but it's <laughs> it it I know it doesn't move necessarily the action, right? Unless right. you're Chinese and you have to change at least three times, and, and, then and it I becomes love that. an issue. <laughs> I love that about about an Asian wedding where they have several outfits, and yeah. I and I tell the bride, I said, "Don't you dare walk into that room in a new outfit and not be an announced." <laughs> you know, I I want to announce you when you walk into that. Well, what you're room. saying is you want everyone to notice. Yes, yes, and and so yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's fun. And that, so that is a tradition or a protocol that it is particularly Asian that yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed. Although uh, I've, I've seen um, uh, South Asian, I mean, Indian, you know, weddings also change. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've seen that. And nowadays, I think it really depends, you know, on the personality, you know, of the wedding and, and such. But you're right. It it is it is fascinating to know. Um, I know that there was a special on Diana and Charles Charles's wedding on TV many years ago that actually did talk about the day and did talk about what happened after the church. Um, and I, I don't know the exact order of things, but I recall there, there was a luncheon that, um, came after the ceremony, I believe. And I'm happy to be corrected on this, by the way, (laughs) 
if you should find out or one of our listeners will tell us, but the, um, I think there is a certain protocol on that. And it wasn't, I think it's until later in the day where they have a larger, um, party. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, cause I know, wasn't their wedding like nearly 1500 or 2000 people inside? I mean, it was a big old group of people there. And I think, I think uh, it'll be different for this royal wedding. It's going to be a smaller affair. But anyway, yes. Well, we'll just have to keep trudging along and trying to find out. What do you think would be missed of all of the weddings and parties that you have done? What do you think, if you didn't do, people would say, oh, my gosh, this is really avant-garde, or I don't know, this doesn't feel like a wedding at all. We've already discussed where we're in the middle of a wedding ceremony, and we have it all written out, and then the officiant announces, and now they're going to light a unity candle, and now they're going to going to do something, you know, they're going to acknowledge their mothers or now they're going to plant a tree or now they're going to have a glass of wine or some Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And it's not written on, on what we had worked out. And very, very quickly, we, the musicians would have to pull out some music and and underscore that and have a, um, support that with a musical moment. All right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're um, we're blindsided by um, a nervous wedding coordinator who winds up sending everyone down in a, in a mass in a group, you know, <laughs> back to back, heel to heel, and then we never get around to playing the bride's processional because the bride is also back to back, heel to heel. Oh my gosh! On the yeah. the bridal party, and it's kind of like that was a beautiful song that she chose, and then we just yeah. kind of got got cheated out of that opportunity. Um, did anybody notice? No, I noticed. <laughs> um, uh-huh. my, um, my musicians who have the next piece of music already lined up, what we'll do is we'll, we'll when we're doing a wedding ceremony, we'll have a, uh, the music already lined up so we don't have to turn pages that, that we're just go from one piece to the next. And then, yeah, it, it, it could happen during a wedding ceremony also where there's a moment where we were planning on doing a solo or there was a moment that we were planning on doing some kind of a musical moment or something. And the minister has gone ahead and is now on to the next thing and doesn't do the cue for setting up that moment. And that is dropped out. Um, in fact, just um, about two weeks ago in the, the Lutheran church that I play organ for, uh, the pastor had gone on, and then one of the um, parishioners who helps with organizing the, the, the service said, Pastor, would you like to do the thing that he had just glossed over? And... And they said, oh, yes, let's do that. And, and she just got him back on track, and then we, we, we did it. And it was very satisfying to, to sing this particular very familiar hymn. Um, but would anybody miss it? Would anybody say, oh, that was really horrible? Um, I, I don't think so. Well, I guess what I was... Um, I, it, I should have rephrased it a little bit. Uh, Because I was honestly referring to a reception rather than a ceremony. Uh uh But I think you bring up a very good point. Today, I think the only thing that people would kind of shake their head at if they didn't see happen was either the bride getting a ring. Because some males do not wear wedding bands. 
um, I, I've seen uh, some ceremonies where the male does not put on a ring. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, but if a woman had not received a wedding band during the ceremony, I would think that that would be very unusual. Yeah, I mean, I think people would say, uh-huh. what? <laughs> That's weird, you know, uh, as, as far as the United States goes and, you know, typical weddings that we see here. So that's one thing. I think they would be surprised that there would be no pronouncement, you know, and uh, some couples, because of legal reasons, have already married. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is just a, I guess, reliving of that moment. Well, for the family. For the family, Uh right. Uh Either they can call it a rededication of their vows. It's not really a renewal because it's the proximity is so close. Mm -hmm. And my friends, Clint Huft and J.P. Reynolds have pointed that out uh, on their podcast, um, Wedding Ceremony. Uh, So I think there's very little today other than those couple of things that we know it's a wedding when that happens, something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Because how people come in now is unique, whether they come in alone with their parents or with multiple sets of parents, which does happen these days, with animals, with, <laughs> with drones circling, and wedding party being all in place and not walking down. I mean, there are so many variations. But, you know, if they don't exchange a vow, and they don't at least one ring and a pronouncement, then you have to kind of say to yourself, is that a wedding or what? Um, In the reception, when I was asking you that question, Mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, what would someone say if something, you know, didn't happen? Well, we now know years and years ago, the one thing you would always have was a table where the bride and groom sat. Whether it was a dais, like, you know, a long formal table or a sweetheart table or a family table. Was that me? Oh, my God, I had it off. How did you hear that? At least I heard it. Did you? I don't know. Did you hear something? No. Oh, then it was just in my ears for some reason. Okay, as long as you didn't hear it. Um, but what happened was it was very unusual for brides and grooms not to come in and be formally introduced. Nowadays, most of the time, yes. Sometimes, no. And because most of us have seen brides and grooms appear appear on the dance floor or they don't have a first dance separate. They just want everyone to dance with them. What I'm really saying is as time goes by, it seems that most of the honored traditions or protocols, many of them have been tested and released from their stature, let's put it that way, that they held for so many generations. Uh Even cutting the cake, which was by and large an absolute up until about 10, 15 years ago, it slowly has changed. Mm -hmm. They may share a cupcake, (laughs) an eclair, (laughs) and uh, it's it's just sometimes because of the hours of the photographer, they'll do that in a private way before anyone enters the the ballroom. Hmm. 
uh, to preserve the hours in which they they have and they don't want to wait till the end and the photographer won't be there. So they cut the cake before anyone comes in and they turn the cake so you can't see the the cut unless someone really walks around <laughs> the backside of a cake sometimes. So what I'm saying is there's all these traditions. So in protocol, I really think it's up for grabs. It is. Whether you dance with your father or not. I mean, there are times when there are, are stepdads involved and, and maybe the stepdad is the one who really raised the bride and the natural birth father isn't going to, you know, want to take center stage mm -hmm. because they understand the, the relationship. There's all kinds of things. And so on the one side, I think it's great that you can mold an event to fit the preferences and relationships mm -hmm. and culture and traditions of the families that are coming together. And at the same time, I kind of wistfully recall what it used to be like and kind of anticipate and look forward to those benchmarks, so to speak, in a, a reception or a ceremony. It wasn't dull to me or repetitive. It was, well, how are they going to do this? What is he going to say, the best man? Because many times now, it, there isn't necessarily a best man speech or toast. It can be done with brothers or it, it could be a best woman speech. It's, it's just what it is. Mm -hmm. And so I both revel in the freedom and also kind of look back and say, wow, things really have changed, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> I think that we could rediscover uh, those traditions and um, at the same time uh, be open to establishing new traditions, uh, believe, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Um, and, and I can't come up with one right now. However, I was speaking with a bride uh, where she didn't want to do the traditional uh, removal of the garter. She felt that it was a oh, bit, yeah. it was a bit demeaning. And, and, yeah. and I, I agree. It, it cheapens yeah. the proceedings. It yeah. really does. What I suggested to her, I said, well, let's take the garter off the groom. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how we can do it. And I would have him put his, the garter on his right or left arm. Yeah. And then his jacket is over his, his garter, so to speak, on the arm. And then she takes his coat off, takes his jacket off in, in, possibly, in possibly a suggestive way, you know, in, in a tender way, possibly. And <laughs> revealing, revealing the garter. And then in a gesture, however she feels fit, sees fit to do, to pull down slowly the garter off of his arm. And then she throws it to the groomsman. Oh, how funny. That sounds unbelievable. <laughs> Certainly unexpected. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> she, she wanted to do something different. And I said, okay, yeah. let's, let's try that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes when you have a twist like that, I think that it can be fun. It really can. And, and I know I've, we've, we've talked about these crazy stories, you know, where people decide to do things differently and, and they are hysterical, but the, at the same time, they can be offensive to somebody, you know, who might not appreciate the deviation, you know, from the norm. But 
I, I really do think it's a joyous time. So if you can make people have fun and laugh, as long as it's not at somebody else's expense, then right. I think I think that's terrific. Yeah, and if Aunt Ethel is easily you know, offended, offended uh, yeah. on things like that, well, we don't have to invite Aunt Ethel, you know, or <laughs> can send her in the kids' room or something. Or, <laughs> well, I, I I do recall one evening where I knew, and I can't even tell you what the thing they were about to do, and you think I would remember that and not the person, but I do remember the person more. Uh-huh. And I think it was at the Ebel of Los Angeles. And somehow I had to get the, I think it was a grandmother of the bride out of the room. They were going to do something that she was not going to approve of. And I don't, I know I asked her, to help me with something in the bride's room. And she kind of looked at me strangely, <laughs> like, why me? You know? And I said, I, I think you would, you, I think I said something about jewelry, you know, that there was something the bride wanted and I didn't know what, I didn't want to touch it by myself or I didn't know what, what she was actually referring to. And I didn't want to ask the bride too many questions. So I thought grandma would know smooth, smooth. something like yeah. that. I, I can't yeah. remember. I just, I, I can't remember what was, I was trying to avoid, but I know <laughs> what I was had to do with the, the grandma. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, what was so funny is she came back with me at the very moment right after everyone was laughing hysterically. Okay. She didn't see whatever it was, Okay, but she walked in and she looked at me and she said, well, now what did I miss? You know, as if to say, you dragged me all the way, you know, upstairs and now look, what did I miss? Like she was really, you know, right. Upset, not right. mad, but you know, kind of like, gee whiz, I missed something good. Yeah. And I said, I, so I said to her, well, whatever it was, I'm sure it'll be on the video (laughs) (laughs) because then I felt, you know what, if it's that important for her to see it, there'll probably be a way, you know, that's right. And then it, that kind of said, oh, okay. You know, (sighs) who knows if she ever saw the video or not, you know, but it's, it's funny because some some things that are funny or off color or wouldn't be appreciated by some are it's just something verbal but other times it's visual <laughs> so you just don't know mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily fit into protocol at all <laughs> yes yeah you know i'm not sure what it was that was trying to be avoided but there was a wedding at the ebel that had to remain silent or or secretive. Oh. And that the um the couple getting married were uh somehow connected with a, a nation or a um uh, a country in Africa. Mhm. And they asked that, you know, no pictures be taken and they asked that um you know, there wouldn't be a post about it mentioning uh-huh. their names. Uh-huh. And apparently there was some, some kind of political turmoil or up, upheaval or something oh. that had been going on and that they escaped, basically, or gotten gotten to the United yes. States, gotten married, and then came back, you know, yeah. to, to their country. Yeah. And so it's interesting that... Um, they were probably going against you know, some, you know, some, uh, the wishes of somebody or something. Yeah. And this might or may not have influenced their political situation there, or the, or maybe they helped their situation by becoming married. Or yeah. It just there seemed to be additional uh, conditions on yeah. on this. Yeah. And I did take pictures and I did um, approve the pictures and the video actually 
uh, from the bride, and she says, "Yes, that's fine. You can't recognize us, and you you can you can post this." It was far enough away, and it was in in such a way that it wasn't during the ceremony either that uh, that this had occurred. So it was events leading up to the ceremony, and it was um, another picture that they were not recognizable in, and. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it was kind of interesting that way. So I can see that there are conditions or that there are, are things that could exist that have to be respected in that way. Oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's manufactured. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative term. It's that whoever is getting married has certain publicity around them and notoriety, Hmm. whatever the situation is. And you have to take precautions for their benefit and the benefit of the public. Um, I was, over the years, I've, I've done several weddings that involved people in the entertainment field or a few in political, um, arena and and I use the word arena advisably (laughs) and I have to tell you it it raises a lot of stress not that it's not needed not that it that it's appropriate it isn't appropriate to take those measures and lengths because whether somebody for political reasons or uh, because they're well known, that they have a lack of privacy in their life, mm-hmm. and they want to have this time-honored experience not to be conducted for the public's interest or curiosity, mm-hmm. but for their own private enjoyment and meaning. So. I I have been on on duty, literally, paparazzi duty, mm-hmm. to ward off stuff like that. I was certainly not a, a security detail in any way, but I had to communicate with security to make sure that everybody knew where everybody was and how to avoid uh, the press or a couple of cameramen with hidden cameras in their bags. And so uh, I got some sleuth uh, training. (laughs) 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 And I almost, uh, I would tease and I said, okay, we're on ST duty. And they would look at me. (laughs) Sleuth training. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I'm not a pro when it comes to stuff like that. So that's why I would say ST um, and and be a chuckle because the point is, look, you can only do what you can do. And I, I, I've seen people hang off of, of uh, rooftops to get a shot of somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sit in a lobby with a bag next to them unzipped mm-hmm. and you're walking by and you say, oh, there, there's another one. Mm-hmm. And you have to change your route mm-hmm. because going up and talking to them isn't going to help, obviously. And so you you just keep your eyes and ears open and hopefully you have observed enough and experienced enough to know where they're going to be. Yeah. And I mean, I've brought brides through kitchens where you are absolutely not permitted. Yes. Literally begging a chef, signing a paper saying, I am totally responsible for the safety of myself and those that I am bringing forward in your Building. Oh, I'm not kidding you. Wow. Because, I mean, under penalty of death almost, you know, (laughs) in order to avoid, uh, uh, you know, a 
uncomfortable situation or somebody who does not want to be observed. Yeah, for real. Wow. wow. It, it has happened. So. <laughs> and for every in, in, intriguing situation like that, I'm sure we all have in the industry shaken our heads at times and and said, why did we make such a big fuss, you know? Uh, it, in other words, when everything goes smoothly and nobody showed up and nothing happened, you you tend to say, you know, did we do that good of a job? Or did it really nothing, it was nothing, nothing happened uh-huh. to even worry about. But we were so worked up inside, you know. Yeah got to be do this. We got to, you know, that you you drove yourself a little crazy for a few hours, you know? Right. And that's why I always think that, uh, and we've talked about this before, there is more or greater chance of something happening under the most normal circumstances than when you go to all this trouble to avoid something that you perceive to be a possibility. Hmm. And think about how that relates to our lives in general. You know, God forbid when accidents happens, things we're not thinking about that. We're going about our daily lives. And sometimes when you're in a celebratory mood, and you're celebrating something wonderful and someone slips and falls genuinely and hurts themselves. Oh my gosh, that has more ramifications than any Pavarazzi, you know, snapping a picture. You know what I'm, I'm trying to say? I think we have to keep things in perspective to think for the safety and happiness of our, our families that experience, go through special days as much as somebody who might have a higher profile. Uh-huh. I kind of feel they're both equal. That oh, we oh looked, absolutely. I know, but just think about how much time and effort sometime and focus is given. And, you know, you check, Points that you have to go through oh, yeah. for certain events. And all I'm saying is, I just want us as professionals to think about the same dedication and focus that we give every party. It's not just another gig. No, no. It it's, really it's... isn't. Yet I don't blame anyone for feeling that way because when you do something habitually so often, you know, it's easy to feel like you're on autopilot some days. And in fact, I remember some days feeling like, wait, this is going too smoothly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, is this going to be the the one perfect event? <laughs> you know? It's like, you know, it's you want to pinch yourself. <laughs> you know, that, you didn't that, have to replace anything. <laughs> well, it's an opportunity for me to perform. It's an opportunity yeah. for me to shepherd somebody through a life-changing opportunity, a life-changing thing. A, a rite of passage is what I was looking for. And that we, I think, as... Uh, wedding professionals or as event professionals um, can assist in that by having our ducks in a row and setting things up and having the, um, the event planned and then providing all the necessary opportunities for amazing things to happen. You know, inviting that person up, scheduling that person to, to, to toast and that that person toasts and then there's something that he says that just really resonates you could see it you could feel it go right through the audience and that mm-hmm. that really really meant something to that family 
and and I always love to when, when only when somebody speaks well, I, I walk up to them and I acknowledge them. I said, you know, that that was well spoken, or, or thank you for 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 talking, or thank you for toasting, or thank you for those kind words. And they are, um, you know, some people would rather be um, shot than than gone up and and <laughs> done a yeah, speech. Know. You know, some yeah. people. Yeah, but, it's hard. But in um, but I think something that gets said right from the heart is um, the thing that everybody's going to remember, and whether or not that's a celebrity wedding or that's a um, that's an anybody wedding, that's a change of condition. That's a that's a a seminal moment for that person and that whole family. And those effects, I think, uh, ripple out. You know, not only from the bride and groom. In fact, it it does originate. It does originate. Well, uh, how can I say this? Yes, it originates from the bride and groom, but really the bride and groom learned how to love that way or how to be wonderful people that way because mm-hmm. of their upbringing and because of their parents and their parents before that. So so here you have the, the grandparents, you have the parents, you have the, the couple, you have the friends, you have all these people that have been gathered in this room, whether they're heads of state or not, mm-hmm. okay? And that, um, and then maybe, yeah, maybe that somebody who is a head of state or somebody who's very, quote, important might have responsibilities and influence far beyond, you know, the proceedings there. But I would say that what happens at the, that proceeding and what happens, what part, the part of light that, that changes during those proceedings, I think, then that effect does ripple out and go right across the dynamics of every person there. And who knows, the world, possibly. Well, you'd like to think that those stones that have been cast across a pond will continue. To ripple. Yeah, Yeah, to ripple. And those, hopefully those stones are full of, of good memories and good thoughts and and well-meaning. You have been listening to Wedding and Event Podcast with Toby Dodge and Eric Zimmerman. If you have a question, comment, or topic suggestion, please call Eric at 626-797-1795 or contact Eric by email, eric at elegantmusic.com. That's E-R-I-C at elegantmusic.com. Contact Toby by email, toby at prepared.com. That's T-O-B-E-Y at P-R-E-P-A-I-R-E-D dot com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and receive a new episode each week. Thank you for listening.